This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for March 10th, 2013. The Gospel is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 through 3 and 11 through 32. The message is by Father Ron Baird. Appropriate for Lent as we wander through the wilderness of our own sinfulness, examining our lives and our consciences, preparing ourselves for the, the, the sacrifice of our Lord for all that we have done that is run amiss or all that we have left undone. It's an interesting and familiar story, the parable of the prodigal son, which in some ways is, is a misnomer because the parable isn't just about the prodigal son. The prodigal son is the one that everybody always focuses on, though. But the, the short of the story is that in that time, the, the, um, the law said that when um, the father died, that the eldest son inherited two-thirds of the property of all that was there, and that one-third was divided amongst the other male heirs. And in this case, the one-third would, there were only two sons, so the younger son would inherit one-third. Well, he decides to do his dad a favor and say, Dad, you know, why don't you go ahead and give me my third now, and that way you can see, you know, you can live to see how much I enjoyed it. <laughs> Wasn't that nice of him to take care of his dad like that? And what's interesting is that his, his dad does divide his property, and, and it gives the son a third. And the son says, goes off into a distant land and, and squanders it. It almost sounds like somebody won the lottery. You know, you hear a lot of those stories about people who make it big in the lottery, and then somehow or other they just end up in all kinds of trouble as a result of having won. It's almost like they don't know how to handle that much money at one time. And so... He goes off, and, and things are going okay, but, you know, he's already gone through all of his money. And then a famine hits this land, so you can't even kind of live off the land anymore. And he's starving, so he decides he really is going to have to do something about this, and, and he goes to look for a job. The only job that he could find was a job with a farmer feeding the pigs. Now, that's a particularly bad job for a Jew, because pigs are unclean, and they really don't want to be around pigs. But... He didn't have any choice because he has to do something or he'll die. And so he, he gets this job and he's feeding the pigs. In the South, we call that slopping the pigs. But, um, but he's feeding the pigs. And he looks at him and he says, I am so hungry. Even what they're eating looks good to me. Which I'll tell you something about how hungry he was. I mean, do, do you know what pigs eat? Garbage. I mean, just... Ugh. <laughs> I mean, that's terrible. It's hard to imagine that he would be hungry enough to eat that. But apparently he was starving. He said, and nobody cares. You know, nobody's offering me a sandwich or anything. I mean, they're just all, you know, well, you get paid eventually here. And he's starving. And it, and it says a wonderful phrase. It says, he came to himself. He came to himself. That's an important thing for us to remember. Because coming to ourselves, being who we are, is important. I know Judy, uh, dad and mom, always told the kids before they went out anywhere, and once they got old enough to go out and drive, they'd always say, remember who you are. You know, and if you think about it, that can go a long way if you remember who you are, what your values are, what that's about. But the world's a very seductive place, isn't it? And can entice us into trying to be someone other than who we are. You know, trying new things. And it can drag us down. And so he goes off, and he's trying to figure out what he's going to do, and he thinks, you know, in my father's house, even the, the slaves, 
you know, get better food than this. You know, at least they're well fed. They got a roof over their head, you know, steady work. And I, I'm just going to have to go back and beg my father to take me back in and let me work for him. Now, that's one difference in multi-generations has changed. I think nowadays the kids would go, I'm going to go back and see mom and dad and see if I could get some more money. <laughs> nowadays, but in that time, that would have been totally unacceptable. That wouldn't have happened. But he does say, you know, well, I could work for him and it would be better than what I've got now. And so he formulates all of the way home how he's going to do that. And he practices it. And when he gets there, he sees his father running towards him. And he says, Father, I have sinned before heaven and you. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. But if you would be willing to hire me, I'd love to work for you. And the father totally ignores that. I mean, he didn't pay attention to what he said. And he says to one of the servants, bring a robe, because his, his son's in these smelly, ragged clothes with no shoes. He said, bring a ring to put on his finger because he's part of the family. And bring sandals for his feet and go and slaughter the fatted calf. Let's have a party because my son was lost and he's found. Well, the real story is now about to take place, believe it or not. It wasn't nearly so much about that exchange as it was about what happens next. What happens next is that the older son, the good boy, you know, the one who always did what he was told and, you know, did everything, comes back and he hears this party going on. So he says, what in the world is happening? So he asks one of the servants, what's going on? And he says, oh, your father's throwing a party because your brother, you know, came back. You know, and, and he was furious. He was livid. This bum who demanded his inheritance early and then blew it, on things that, that are despicable, gets a party? You know, I don't get parties. I just get to go to work every day. And so he refuses to go in. I'm not going in there. And his father finds out about this, and he comes out, and he pleads with him. And he says, son, come in. You know, And he says, no, this son of yours, seems he's forgotten who he was, doesn't it? He didn't say my brother. He said, this son of yours. Isn't that interesting that the prodigal son came to himself while the self-righteous one forgets who he is. He says, this son of yours wasted your hard-earned money on prostitutes and all sorts of terrible things. And you throw a party for him and, and you slay a fatted calf? How do you figure that? You've never even given me as much as a goat. And the father looks at him and says, son, but you're with me all the time. You're here every day. And everything that I have belongs to you. Now, that wasn't just a nice way of saying, you know, you're here. Because if you remember what the law says, one-third goes to the other children. Two-thirds goes to the oldest son, who is the one who's refusing to come in. Everything that's on that property, everything that the father owns is going to be his. It won't ever go away. You know, I mean, nobody can take it from him. It's his right. It's his birthright. And so he's saying, all this is yours already. Look at how much you have. And then the story ends. And isn't it interesting that it ends without telling us what he decides? You know, we don't know, do we? Do you think he went in? Think he stormed off? It's hard to tell, isn't it? 
We really don't know. Now, to really understand why the story is more about the older son than the younger son is that you have to look at how they set it up. The reason why Jesus tells this parable is that tax collectors and sinners have come to hear him preach, and the Pharisees and the scribes, it says, are grumbling. They must have been good churchgoers because they grumble a lot, so so they're grumbling. Grumble, grumble. You know, he eats with sinners and tax collectors. What kind of person does that? I mean, look at the scum of the earth he brings in here. And so Jesus tells them the parable because of their comments about who this terrible, these terrible people really are and what they're really like. And we have to ask ourselves, are we more like the prodigal that we come to ourselves? Or are we more like the older son? who is self-justified. Because it makes a big difference. As we wander through the wilderness of our sin, if we are really examining our lives, it becomes easy to begin to see how far off the path we really are. How far away from what God had created us to be and do has really been. And then we have a choice to make. And we can choose to say, well, nobody's perfect. You all have heard that before, haven't you? Nobody's perfect. What does that mean, by the way? Hmm? Yeah, well, it does mean that, but what what are you really saying? If somebody says, you know, well, you did this and this and this, and you go, well, nobody's perfect, what are you really saying? Yeah, it's not my problem. I mean, you couldn't expect any more than that, could you? Too bad. And yet, God says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. He doesn't seem to think that's okay. He seems to think you need to be perfect. Now, is that because God is up there, you know, like you know, Santa Claus making a list and checking it twice, going to find out who's naughty or nice? No. It's because when God sees us, He sees us through the same eyes that the Father in this parable sees us. He doesn't think of the fact that how dare you waste what I have given you? Who are you anyway? He looks at it as, this is my child. I love them, and, and, and look what they're doing. They're hurting themselves. You know, they're not, they're not being what they need to be, and, it, and it's only going to lead to ruin. It's not going to work. I suspect he weeps when he sees us straying from his path, not sits in judgment and wants to smack us upside the head. And yet, all too often, it becomes easy for people in church to say, well, I do the right thing. I go to church on Sundays, and, you know, I say my prayers, and we say grace before meals, and, you know, I give to the church and, and to other charitable things, and I'm a good person. I try not to be mean to anybody or do anything that's too bad. And yeah, I slip up once in a while, but doesn't everybody. And, but, you know, why in the world would people like that get a break? You know, people like the drug peddlers. And the murderers, why, did, why would they get a break when I tried so hard and I'm so good? And yet, we're the ones who are even more lost than the prodigal is now. Now, that's not to say that drug peddlers and murderers can't be lost. They, too, have to come to a place where they come to themselves. But if we begin to sit in judgment of people and get angry at them, and and put them down, or be condescending towards others, then we're just as lost as they are. 
Because what we're now doing is using our own works to justify ourselves as though somehow or other we can make ourselves righteous. And the only way we do that is by ignoring the sins that are around us, not the least of which, if you're doing that, is pride. You know, if you think about it, the eldest son had it pretty good. He was going to inherit two-thirds of everything right off the bat. He didn't have to do anything for it. He was going to get it automatically. And so when he says, I, sla- you know, I worked like a slave for you every day and went out, well, but it was his. You know, and it's like, well, I didn't run off. Well, he inherits all the land, so how's he going to run off with it? You know, he's really serving himself as much as he's serving his father. But he doesn't look at it that way, does he? And one of the great crimes of the church is that all too often that's how we are seen, as being a group of people who have a bunch of thou shalts and thou shalt nots. And if you don't do them, we don't like you because you're bad. So there. And yet, that's who Jesus came to save. And if you don't need a Savior, you got a problem because you're delusional. And it's very easy for us to get up on our high horse. We all have different topics that we get up on our high horse about. But, you know, we all have those things that we know the way it's supposed to be. And some people don't act that way. And so we judge them. Is it any wonder that people don't flock to churches? I mean, how many people get up in the morning and say, gee, I wonder where I could go to get judged today? That'd be really good. I mean, I like some good condemnation. I haven't had any all week. Never happens at work. Nobody ever criticizes me there, so I need to get somebody to really give it to me. I mean, it doesn't happen, does it? So how in the world did we ever get this name of being like that? Because it's the antithesis of what Paul tells us our real ministry is. He says that God in Christ was reconciling the world to himself, even while we were in our sins. You know, not after we decided to quit, but even while we were in it. And he has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That's the mission of the church, is to reconcile the world to God, to go out and tell sinful and broken people that there is hope, that there is a God who wants to run and embrace them, who wants to love them, who wants them to come home. Now, does that mean that they can go on and be sin, you know, sinning and be broken? Well, yes and no. To not be sinful or broken is not a prerequisite for coming home. It's a prerequisite for real life. Because what good does it do you if you go home and then just do it over again and over again and over again? It didn't do you any good. See, the church needs to begin to look at the brokenness of the world and see people the way God sees them. And that's what it meant when it said that the son came to himself. He saw things differently, didn't he? You know, when he was there with the pigs, things looked a little different. And he began to think about things differently. And so as he was looking at this, he began to realize who he was and how good he really had it. He didn't see that before. Probably before what he saw was that my older brother's the goody two-shoes and he's going to get most of the stuff. And he wasn't happy about it. But now he comes to himself. The Greek word for that, we call it repentance, but the Greek word for repentance is metanoia. 
It means literally to see things with a new eye, to see things from a different perspective. And even more specifically, it means to see things the way that God sees things. And God sees things the way that father saw them. When he saw his son coming, he didn't wait to find out what he was coming for, did he? He ran. He was just glad he came home. He was so happy to see him. And that's the way God sees us. He just wants us to come home, to be who he created us to be. And the truth is, sometimes it's easier to come home when you've got nowhere else to go, like the prodigal son did. But if you think about it, the other son was even more lost because he was at home and he didn't get it. He didn't understand who he was or what this was all about. He didn't inherit any of the compassion and caring that his father had, did he? Had a great work ethic, but he didn't care that his brother had done these things. Now, it's understandable that you get angry. When people do things, you get angry. But to stay angry, to harbor it, to wallow in it, to own it, and then to even justify it, and say, well, I'm right to be angry. And yet, isn't that what we do when we get mad at people? They wronged me. Which, by the way, the other side of that coin is, and I'm right. So I have a right to be mad at you. Well, anger really isn't about rights. It's just a feeling that you have. You don't have a right to be angry. You just feel angry. As my mother once told me when I was little, I used to go, you made me mad. And she goes, well, you got mad, you can get glad again. <laughs> what she was telling me in that, by the way, was that that wasn't her responsibility. <laughs> that was mine. You know, 